Let me pray for us really quick again before we get moving. Father, thank you that we can, we can sing and proclaim your name, Yahweh. God, a name that was feared in the time period that we're about to read about, a name that was whispered, that people were afraid to say. God, I thank you that we can approach your presence boldly and that we can walk in because of what Jesus has done for us. And God, I pray that as we read through Exodus today, as, as your word speaks, I pray that my words would not be muddied up in this, but God, your beautiful words, I pray that would be uh, lifted high in this, in this room today. And God, that as we read Exodus, as we hear this word, Father, that the beauty of your story would just ooze through this room today. I don't know any, any better way to put it. But that the beauty that, that is just wrapped up in, in this story of deliverance, that it would bring us to, to worship you. God, hide anything that may be confused with anything of this world behind your word. God, I pray that your word will be at the forefront. God, bless us. Um, and I know that you're already here with us. God, but, but just show us that you're here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so Exodus. Um, up front, I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer, all right? My personality, for those that know you, I don't do overview well, all right? I don't do high-fly um, summaries really well. The kids can tell you on Wednesday nights. I may say, hey, 15 minutes is 45 minutes later. We're wrapping up, you know. Um, I will be relying on my notes a lot because if I don't, we will hit 12 o'clock and I will have to cut it off because we will, we will never get done. So, um, a challenge this week. I'll just put it that way. I'm a detail stop. I want to know each little tidbit of this story. I want to know why the fourth plague was like it was. Why, why did the fourth plague have to happen this way? What, what does it mean, right? What does the lampstand mean in the tabernacle? I want to know. I don't, I don't want to high fly. Let me know the details, right? That's how I am. So uh, this week was a challenge, but we're going we're gonna to make it today. We're going to get through Exodus today. All right, it's going to be good. Um, I want to also give you a shameless plug for tonight. We will be having evening services tonight. Uh, what we do not cover in depth today that I really want to cover, we will cover tonight. Um, things like covenant. What does a covenant mean? I want to cover the plagues in depth and really talk about the significance of each plague. Each, each plague is significant. I want to talk about that tonight. Um, this idea of the forgetfulness of Israel, how quickly they forgot uh, about God. I want to talk about those things tonight. So go ahead and while you're sitting here, mark off on your calendar, make plans for your, to be here tonight at 5. Um, it's really easy for us to get bogged down with the symptoms of life and just the to and fro and the back and forth. Um, we, I was looking for a few examples this week of, of just ways that we can become really anxious about things and nervous and fearful, and it's really easy for us. And I think a lot of or some of our media outlets that we go to, some news sources and social media especially, things like that, uh, they tend to play into this idea that there's bad news all around us, and sometimes we get wrapped up in it. And if we're not careful, we become fearful. We become anxious and nervous. Um, and this weird cycle begins where we're nervous and we want to know more about these things and we become more nervous and we become more fearful. Um, if I were to believe, by the way, my favorite are the food scares. You know, every, every few weeks you hear about a new thing you shouldn't eat or you should eat more of or something you're not eating that you should. Um, I, I read one about arsenic in baby food. I don't know if you've heard about this one. Um, don't go look it up, okay? Um, you may want to look it up if you've got babies. But um, if you look up arsenic, it's in a lot of things. So just FYI, don't eat anything. If, if you're, if you're going to subscribe to the food scares, you're going to be drinking purified water that was purified from the Himalayan mountains by osmosis only, and you're going to be eating kale. All right, that's it. That's all you got um, if you're going to listen to all the food scares. But we get really concerned about these things. We get really concerned about um, life, about bad issues, about issues with our own personal lives, and we, we tend to bring those in these doors on Sunday mornings. Depression. Um, some of you may be saying, I just barely made it here. I can't. I don't see any hope. I don't see any hope for life. Um, child rearing, marriage issues. Some of you walked in this door at your wit's end this morning. Um, things like uh, finances. Some of you may say, hey, power bills do you and I'm broke. I don't know how I'm going to pay it. Um, we get calls like that all the time. 
in our office. These issues, we want to hear them talked about from the pulpit. We want to hear these specific issues talked about. But I'm here to tell you today that the reason why uh, I admire Ryan for going through the entire story of the Bible is because when you go through the entire story of the Bible from a 37,000-foot view, you see that the Bible encompasses all these issues. God's story is much greater than what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not saying that these issues are not important. They are. If you're in those, it's a big deal. It is. We've been there. I've been there. I'm a human, right? I stand here talking to you not as uh, some high and mighty individual on an ivory tower, but I'm standing here talking to you as a human. God's just given me a unique opportunity to preach. But his story, when we dig in, when we dig deep, we see these four common themes, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and these are beautiful things. Today, specifically, as we go through Exodus, you're going to hear a lot of uh, references to redemption. You're going to hear about uh, some hints towards restoration in the New Testament. I want you to look out for those. Um, we get bogged down with the to and fro of life, and we fail to consider the source. And the source is his story. The source of life is his story. So, um, we're going to dig in today. Exodus is a great book. Uh, any of you read through Exodus front to, front to back? You can be. It's not prideful to raise your hand, I promise. Um, I, I want to recommend you... Uh, to you to do that. Uh, it, does, it would not take you more than this week to do that, I promise you. And some of you say, I don't have time. You've got time for Exodus, trust me. Um, the chapters are not that long. Um, it's a pretty easy book to read. It reads like a movie, like if you were to watch it. Uh, there's been some movies made about Exodus. Um, some of the newer movies I would watch out for, because there's some things in there. <laughs> uh, I think Exodus, Gods and Kings, any of you seen that one? Uh, a lot of opinions there. A lot of things that may not necessarily be scriptural. Um, takes a lot of liberties there with Exodus. Um, but Exodus is a beautiful story of redemption, of deliverance. Uh, and again, I'm going to cover those in depth tonight. I can't do that today. There's just not enough time, so uh, make plans. But as we go through Exodus, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this idea of redemption. Um, I want to mention, too, that we like to point to Exodus, and we like to pull specific verses out of Exodus and use them for various reasons. For instance, um, one I've heard so many times, it's hard to count, is why would God kill the firstborn of every Egyptian? What kind of loving God would do that? That's not just. Why would he do that? When you look at the story as a whole, you begin to realize that Exodus is meant to be read as a book, not as specific passages. So, Um, N.T. Wright puts it this way. The Bible is not primarily written in order to be read in 10-verse chunks. We've cut the Bible down to size. Obviously, there are some bits, like the Psalms. Uh, The book of James is written in very short verse, but most of it, including Paul's letters and certainly the Gospels and certainly great books like Isaiah, are read in order to be experienced the way you would experience a symphony. Imagine if you went to a concert and heard the first 10 bars of Beethoven's Fifth, and then the conductor turned around and said, that's all for this week. Come back next week and you'll hear the next 10 bars. I'd be wanting a refund, personally. I'm sure no one would say, oh, but if you listen to the whole thing, then you'll never remember it all. That's not the point. You don't listen to it to remember it all. You listen to it in order to be swept along in the full flow and sweep and flood of the entire piece. And as we go through Exodus today, you'll see that the flow of Exodus is meant to be swept up into. This book is not meant to be eaten in chunks, if that makes sense. It's meant to be read through, and some of you read through books that thick in a week, so you can't tell me you can't read through Exodus, so that's your challenge. Do it this week. Um, His story, this series, Exodus is about him. It's about God. Uh, This is his story. This is not just the story of the Israelites. This is not just the story of Pharaoh and Egypt and plagues and tabernacle and all these things. This is God's story. We need to remember that as we go. Um, Today, specifically, you'll see, again, this incredible story of redemption. But the most incredible part is that this story actually includes us. Um, And I'll get to that. So, uh, overview of of Exodus. I'll just give you a quick um, couple of facts. It can be divided into two sections. And I believe these may be on your sheet here. Let's see. Um, Some of these are. So, Exodus can be divided into two sections or acts, if you will, almost like acts of a play. Um, 
And that's my wording, by the way. You're not going to see the word Acts in Exodus. It's not like there's actual divisions. But there are two sections. The first is chapter 1 through 18, and that's the Exodus. That's actually the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Right in the middle is chapter 19, which is where Ma- uh, Moses ascends Mount Sinai, gets the Ten Commandments. And then the latter, the latter part, uh, 20 through 40, is the covenant and the law and the tabernacle. Um, pretty Again, the depth is incredible. I wish I could go through all of it. It'd take us a year, by the way, to go through all of it if we wanted to. Um, Exodus is part of the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. Exodus is number two. Um, and Exodus is, uh, it belongs to the historical narrative genre. Okay, so last week we talked about Job. Job is wisdom literature, right? It's different. Uh, historical narrative is meant to be read as if it were true, number one. And as if it were history, okay? Not his story, but history, right? It's historical. These are facts. This is read as if it actually happened, which it did. I believe it did. I hope you do too. Um, this is a narrative. This is someone narrating this story, okay? So we're reading what, uh, what actually occurred in history, but it's being told to us, all right? Um, we're going to see three themes today. And I want you, I'll mention those as we go. But if you're a note taker, um, maybe take notes of the passages. I want you to read this, all right? I don't want you to write everything. I we're going to go through the story. I'll just be blunt with you. But as you go, you're going to see three, see three themes, and I, I'll pull those out as we go. Um, so let's recap first. So two weeks ago, Ryan covered Genesis, right? And, and I know you, some of you may ask, well, why don't you start in Job? Why can't we recap Job? Well, Job is almost like, for the Star Wars folks, it's almost like Rogue One, all right? Um, you've got your trilogy, all right? You've got episodes four, five, and six, and then you've got Rogue One that kind of explains some stuff in between three and four, right? Um, that's kind of how Job is. Job is not meant to be read necessarily in the narrative here, uh, even though chronologically, time-wise, it falls in between Genesis and Exodus, or kind of close to in between. Um, it's, not, it's not historical narrative as much as wisdom literature. Right? Ryan made that distinction last week. So we're going to recap from Genesis because uh, according to the narrative, according to the story of the Pentateuch, we start from Genesis and then go straight to Exodus. Does that make sense? I haven't lost anybody yet, have I? Good. Okay. Um, so recap. Uh, we've got to pick up where we left off in, in Genesis. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, Genesis ends with Jacob, his brothers, and all of their children traveling to where? Egypt. Right. So Huge famine in the land. Uh, you know all the story about Joseph, how the brothers sold him into slavery. Miraculously, Joseph became uh, second in command in Egypt. A real high, uh, well-to-do guy. I mean, second in command. He's, he's up there. He's, he's, he's sitting pretty good. So he tells Jacob, all of his kin, hey, y'all come live with us. We got plenty of food. You'll be all right here. So they do. Um, they get there. Um, Pharaoh agrees to, to let them come and stay. And as a matter of fact, not only does he agree, and not only is he happy with that, but Jacob and the family is really happy because Pharaoh says, listen, y'all can have whatever you need. I'm going to set you up just right. Y'all come on. Just live here. And they do. Uh, Things are great. Uh, Pharaoh is happy. Israel's happy. Uh, Jacob's family's happy. Joseph's happy. Everybody's happy. It's a good day. Everything's great. And we pick up right here in Exodus. I just want to read the first passage here. Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So, again, I told you, Exodus reads like a movie. This is almost like when the scene opens and this, this narrator is giving you a quick spill of what's going on, right? And that's kind of what happened just then. That wording, if you remember from the, the covenant with Abraham, that wording should be pretty familiar. Things like multiply, um, fruitful, increase. Uh, this, this also the uh, um, the command 
to Adam and Eve to multiply. These things should be, uh, that wording should be very familiar with us at this point, if you've studied Genesis. Things are going well for Israel. They were doing good. Egypt's good. Everything's great. But you notice, Joseph and his brothers die off. Time moves forward, doesn't it? It doesn't just stop. That's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of Exodus. Cut scene here, and I imagine Pharaoh, I'm a visual person too, I imagine Pharaoh sitting in this huge corridor and his advisors around him, and he's, there's an issue. You can tell something's wrong with Pharaoh. It's not good. Pharaoh's a bad dude. Something's wrong. You've got to understand that. We read in verse 8, there arose a new king, a new Pharaoh over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Let us deal harshly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight us and escape from the land. Really quickly, side note, before we go further, don't get wrapped up in this idea that Pharaoh is one person. Okay, And this is on the back of this sheet that your, your uh, study guide here. No, I'm sorry, it's on the back of your bullets in here. Uh, really interesting article that Ryan put in there. Don't get wrapped up in Pharaoh as one person, okay? Think of this almost like as Caesar in the New Testament. Caesar is a name for uh, any ruler at the time, okay? Likewise with Pharaoh. There are different Pharaohs throughout this story. Um, Pharaoh that Joseph talked to, everything's great, right? This new Pharaoh that arose, not good. Not, not, not a good day at all. Pharaoh here looks around and says... Guys, we've got an issue. Um, these people are growing really quick, right? So, I mean, you think logistically, uh, what if war does break out? And what if Israel does decide, hey, forget this. We've been, we've been living here. Let's just take this place, right? That's Pharaoh's thought there. And I believe that starts off as a decent thought. I mean, that's any, any leader should be thinking that way. So we can't give him, I mean, maybe he's got the right idea, but he starts talking about this this idea of dealing harshly with the Israelites and enslaving them. These are God's people, okay? Pharaoh begins to step into a place where he doesn't realize the full ramifications of his actions when he talks about enslaving God's people, when he talks about dealing harshly with them. Pharaoh's going to find himself in a place where I believe, it's not there, but I believe he regrets this decision. As a matter of fact, it is there. I'll show you in a minute. Now, Pharaoh's a bad dude. This guy is... You'll see as he, as he goes, his, the evil inside of him just grows more and more monstrous. Um, and Pharaoh is meant to be characterized as a really bad guy, and he is. He's a bad dude, and you'll see that in a second. Uh, he takes advantage of the Israelites, uh, enslaves them, and not only that, shortly after this passage, he orders the death of every male that is born to the Hebrews. Every one of them. Initially, he says, all right, tell the midwives... Um, just get rid of the males. And that doesn't work. The midwives don't listen. So then he says, well, every male boy needs to be thrown into the Nile River. Drown. No questions asked. That's it. We cannot allow these people to grow anymore. They're a problem. Pure evil. This news reaches this young woman named Jochebed, who has a son. And if, if you've heard the story of, of Exodus, you know this little boy would be named Moses eventually. But she follows what Pharaoh says. She puts her son in the river, but she puts him in, in a basket. Remember the story. The basket made of reeds. She puts him in the river and trusts that God would handle the rest. And she lets him go. No coincidence that just around the bend is who? Pharaoh's daughter, right? Talk about a God thing. Um, I don't know if Jacob had planned that, but even if she did, it's still a God thing. She takes him in, calls him Moses, which means drawn out or um, pulled from, uh, either pulled out or drawn out, which he was. And she raises him. Um, and, and Moses is raised in, in pretty decent conditions. Um, as this story goes, um, you'll see that Moses... Just all sorts of miraculous things happen with him. Just like with Pharaoh's daughter pulling him out of the, out of the Nile. Um, things could have ended completely differently for, for um, Moses. But here, it's when Pharaoh's daughter names Moses. That's where we, we see the main actor, or the main supporting actor, the main actor's God. 
but the main actor of the book of Exodus. The story will follow Moses throughout this book. So, uh, more time passes. If you know the story, Moses is walking through the land. He sees an Egyptian slave beating a Hebrew, I mean, an Egyptian taskmaster beating a uh, Hebrew. So, uh, the Bible says that Moses does this little number like that. Walks up, kills the guy, buries him in the sand. Moses thought nobody was looking, right? He thinks everything's good. He just helped his kinsmen. Everything's great. A little bit later, he has a confrontation with a Hebrew, and the Hebrew says to him, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And that's kind of when the hot flash runs over him, you know? It's kind of like, oh, oh, snap. <laughs> These people know? So he immediately assumes that Pharaoh knows, which he does. Pharaoh knew at this point. And Moses takes off. He goes to Midian. Um, if you're following along by, by chapter, we're, uh, we're right in uh, chapter 2 and 3. We're going to go a little bit faster after this. We've kind of got to get the ball rolling for a second. Um, while in Midian, Moses becomes a shepherd. He's walking through the field one day, and he encounters what? Do you all remember what he encounters? Burning bush, right. Who is in the burning bush? God, correct. So the way that, the, really the thing that speaks to Moses the most, and the thing that would speak to me the most, is this bush doesn't burn up. It's just burning. God speaks to him and says, remove your sandals. Um, he gives him the call to go, to, to go uh, free, um, to deliver the, the Israelites, the Hebrews. He, um, put it, put it, I'm trying to put it in a nice way. He chickens out. He chickens out a lot. Like, he, he gives all these excuses. Um, while in Midian, um, we read that... I've skipped ahead of myself a little bit. I, I want to cover this before we go any further. Chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. Just put a mark on this or, or write this down. I want you to read this. This, is, this gives me the heebie-jeebies, all right, when I read this. Um, and the burning bush is right after this, so it kind of fits in. But uh, verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. Again, you see that the, the current pharaoh dies. Another one takes, takes charge. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And this, this scares me a little bit. God saw the people of, of Israel. Hard stop. And God knew. I don't know what God knew, but it was not good. I believe God knew that he was going to have to do something major here. So shortly after, again, the burning bush, God calls Moses. Uh, Moses chickens out. He's, he's got all these excuses. God answers every one of them. He provides. Again, that's one of those real deep themes that I wish we could cover, but we can't. But it's God provides Aaron. He provides the staff. He provides signs, these miracles for, for, Aaron, for Moses to do. To show people that, hey, God really did send me. And he makes his trek back to Israel, or to, to Egypt. You know that even though Moses resists, he eventually goes. He approaches Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, what three words or four words? Yeah. We, we say it a lot. Let my people go, right? Uh, there's even a song about it. I love these little kids' songs. Uh, and I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to embarrass myself that way. But... Um, let my people go. Again, this is one of those areas where throughout history, we've, um, many groups have taken this passage out and they've used it for social uh, reasons. I think about um, uh, William Wilberforce with the abolition of slavery relied heavily on this passage of, of Moses walking in front of Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Um, the civil rights movement. Uh, lots of other places in history have pointed to this passage and said, let my people go. Uh, and Moses delivers this message to Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh say? Chapter 5, verse 2. Who is this Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. Again, this is a different Pharaoh, but you see the same mentality is there, isn't it? The same evil is there. Who is this Yahweh? <laughs> I'm afraid he's going to find out. Shortly after this, Pharaoh begins to delve deeper 
into evil. And again, his evil reaches a monstrosity, a monstrous state. <laughs> he becomes feverishly evil. Um, and God would bring about a series of ten plagues on the land in Egypt. Now, I said the plagues were significant. I'm going to give you a little hint about tonight. Each plague directly cuts the knees out of a God that was in Egypt at the time. I want to share that with you tonight. Very interesting, super interesting. But God sets out to show Egypt just how powerful he is. And through these ten plagues, he knocks the knees out of every one of the gods that they hold dear. Every one of them. It's significant to note, um, as well here, that very, very early on, as we approach the tenth plague, and, and those of you who know, the tenth plague is when uh, the firstborn would die. It's important to note that up until this point, Pharaoh has been warned twice, not only about the plagues, but specifically that God was going to kill the firstborn of every, of every person in Egypt. Um, again, this is one of those verses that kind of scare me about God. Ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, this is one of those instances. God directs Moses to tell Pharaoh these specific words, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Again, you can never pull out of context and say, why would God kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian? God gave a very clear warning right there. Let my people go or I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Not to mention the fact that an unspoken amount of firstborn sons of the Hebrew people have already been killed in the Nile. Let's don't forget that. We forget these things. Again, Exodus is meant to be read as a symphony, not as a 10-verse. John, you get the point. The most important plague, and the one I want us to really talk, talk about today, is the 10th plague, and that is the death of every firstborn child, a boy, every firstborn in Egypt. Again, I want to just note one more time, Pharaoh is warned numerous times that impending doom is coming. <laughs> Chapter 11, right before the final plague, God says, At about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, all the way to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, even the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a, a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before or will ever be again. But not even a dog shall growl against my people, either from man or from beast, so that you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. These are strong words, and this is a strong God saying, Pharaoh, you have gone too far. You have done too much to my people. These are strong words. Again, freaks me out. <laughs> you know, kind of scares me a little bit. But Pharaoh has reached such a point of evil. His heart is so hardened by this point that God has to do this. There's no other way. I don't believe Pharaoh would have let Israel go if God wouldn't have done this. I don't think there's any way. Right before he sends the tenth plague, God does one of the most profound things in chapter 12, and we call it the Passover. I want to share it real briefly with you. Um, we can discuss this tonight as well if y'all would like. Um, God provides his people really with a way to avoid this impending doom. God warns them and says, there's a specific type of lamb I want you to kill. I want you to wipe his blood on the doorpost and the lintel of your house. And as I pass over Egypt, or as I uh, move over Egypt or throughout Egypt, I will pass over the houses that I see with the, with the blood applied to the door. It's called a Passover. He also gives them specific um, rules, if you will, standards for a meal that he wants them to eat. It's called the Passover feast. And by the way, um, this moment in history, in, in Jewish history, is so miraculous, so marvelous that they still celebrate this today. Um, and we went through it with the Seder meal, which was interesting. It's very, very good to, to see the symbolism there. But the, the Passover meal had very specific rules all the way down to what the Israelites should wear. And God said, you need to fasten your belts really tight, get your robes on, fasten them tight, get your sandals good and ready, and hold your staff in your hand. Why? 
Why? About to get out of Dodge, Jack. Right? You about to get out of Dodge. The next thing that they read about was the angel of death passing over and a great cry coming up from Egypt because in every household, in every Egyptian household, the firstborn had died. Great cry rose in Egypt, just as God said. Word reaches Pharaoh, which word had already reached Pharaoh. His firstborn had died as well. And Pharaoh says, get out. He doesn't recognize God as the God of, of uh, Israel. He doesn't say, oh, this must be the real God. You guys get out. He just says, get out, right? Any other time in the Bible when God does something huge, people say, oh, this must be the real God. This must be the God of Abraham that everybody's talking about, not Pharaoh. Just get out. That's all he says. He still doesn't recognize the power of God. Um, Pharaoh has no choice but to let Israel go. Even his own people say, we're all going to die if you don't let these people go. Get them out of here. We're all going to be dead if you don't. So he lets them go. Um, skipping details here. We're going to pass through this kind of quick. Um, Israel's wandering through the desert. They're guided by a cloud by day, pillar of fire at night. We'll talk about that tonight as well. I believe that's the Holy Spirit um, guiding them um, through the desert. And I want to share with you why I believe that tonight. Chapter 14, the Hebrews hit a tough patch, don't they? Israel, the Egyptian army, Pharaoh's decided, hey, our workers are gone. <laughs> Who's going to gather our food? Who's going to build our bricks? We don't have anybody to do that now. We need to go pick them up. We need to go get them. So there goes the chariots, and they're gone. They're after the, Egypt, the Israelites. The Israelites see them. They get afraid, and they come up to what? What's in their way now? Red Sea, right. Huge. What, what are we going to do moment? Again, another one of those oh snap moments. What are we going to do? God says, Moses, that staff that I've done so many awesome things through, raise it up. Part that sea. And Moses does, and that sea parts. So much so that the land that they walk on across is not muddy. It's not even damp. It's dry. The Spirit of God parts the Red Sea, and everything's dry. They just walk across like, no. Eh. This is kind of neat. Have you ever seen Prince of Egypt? The Disney movie? I believe, I believe they showed this scene. And I may be thinking of a different movie, but you see a whale coming by, like different fish, and I, I, I like that image. I don't know if that's legitimate, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. Israel walks through the Red Sea, and, and you know the rest of the story. The Egyptian army chases them through. Uh, Pharaoh's evil has lured him to this point to where he chases after him, goes to the Red Sea, and I don't know if he sees any danger in two huge walls of water at this point, you know, like, hmm, maybe we should let them go, you know. Moses has got this crazy staff, maybe this God's real, walls of water, eh. no, they chase after him. I believe that Pharaoh's evil, that Egypt's evil had lured him to a point to where it lured him to his own destruction, and sure enough, he gets in the middle, and those waves clap up, and it's too late. The army's dead, and then in chapter 15, you hear the first praise, what's considered the first praise song to God. I want you to mark that. I want you to read that. It's called Moses' Song or the Song of the Sea. Uh, really interesting uh, wording in there. I don't really have time to go through that again. Uh, but, again, it's what, what is considered the first uh, worship song to the Lord. We're going to move quick here. You ready? So, I said there were three themes. That, the theme over that past few that passage that I just read is deliverance, all right? No question to that. God just delivered Israel from Egypt. Next, um, you see Mount Sinai in chapter 19. If you've watched the Bible Project videos, Ryan's mentioned those a few times. Go to YouTube. Um, if, you, if you don't have a computer or YouTube or a smartphone, you can come to our office, and I'd, I'd be glad to show you those videos. They're really interesting. Um, this moment, they chronicle really well with, with Moses climbing Mount Sinai. You see him peek over the top, and his eyes are this big. You know, he's like, what's going to happen? Because up to this point, everybody thought, if you see God, you're going to die. You know, you're dead instantly. And we don't know exactly what happened at the top of Mount Sinai. I have no idea, but I know God was there. And I know Moses was there. Because Moses walked back down with what? The Ten Commandments, right? On two tablets. God gave Moses the terms for this new covenant that he was about to make with them. We're going to talk about covenant tonight, too. Y'all, there's so much we're going to talk about tonight. Please come back. <laughs> I'm just short of begging you. Really interesting stuff. 
I guess I did just beg you. That's okay. God lays out these terms for this covenant, and that's the second theme I want to cover, is this idea of covenant. This idea that, Israel, you do your part, I will do my part. Everything's great. The only way out of this agreement is to die. I'm sorry, that's just the only way out of it. God's going to do his part. We know God's perfect. He's faithful. He never fails us. Israel has a lot of trouble with that covenant. How do we know that Israel has trouble with this covenant? Because when Moses walks back down with this new law, what is Israel doing? Worshiping an idol, right? They've taken all the earrings and the jewelry that they stole from the Egyptians that God gave them as plunder. I say stole, God gave it to them. And they fastened it in this golden calf. And they're down there singing songs to it, just like they sang a song to God about pulling them through the Red Sea. They're worshiping a calf. Moses is like, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, I can only imagine the, the anger there. This, this guy has just climbed Mount Sinai and seen God. And he comes back down and his people are already just being idiots. It's the equivalent of, we talk about marriage as a covenant. It's the equivalent of, imagine two people get married and on the honeymoon, infidelity happening. On the honeymoon. That's how quickly this happened. This covenant is just brand new. Moses is carrying down the terms of it. And Israel's already unfaithful. Quickly, quickly, this happened. The story goes that God says essentially to Moses, hey, just step, just can, can you take two steps this way? take two steps. I'm about to open a can on my people. <laughs> I'm about to ruin my people. And I'm just going to start over with you, Moses, and your family. You guys pick up your stuff and go to where I told you to go. I'm pissed to ruin the rest of these people. That's, what, that's the conversation between God and Moses. God, uh, Moses pleads with God. You, you, you read this chapter. It's in, uh, let me catch this up. Um, sorry. Um, here we are at, almost there, we are closer to, um, really sorry y'all, we're closer to um, chapter 32, we're right after chapter 32, Moses pleads with God, pleads with him. Please remember your covenant that you made with Abraham. Please remember that. Don't wipe these people out. Don't do it. Just remember your covenant. A lot of people say, well, why did God change his mind? God doesn't have to change his mind, by the way. If God's offered two options that are good in this situation, he could have been completely just in wiping out Israel. Israel had nullified the covenant with this. You get that? A covenant is you do your part, I do mine. If you don't, you die. That's the only way out of a covenant, right? I consider marriage a covenant. I do. At this point, Israel has nullified the covenant. So God says, all right, do what you want. I'm gone. Moses, I'll start over with you. I'll make a covenant with you. But all these other people, they're bozos. I'm out of here. Moses pleads with him, please remember your covenant with Abraham. And God chooses that. Does that mean God made a bad decision to kill Israel? No. God would have been just to do that. Moses appeals to God's mercy, which is just as right. God's still right either way. A lot of people have a problem with that. I don't. Again, moving, moving quickly here. God essentially says, um, we'll start over. Moses ascends Mount Sinai again, comes back down with identical tablets, okay? He's, he's got the same Ten Commandments on those tablets when he comes back down. Um, Israel's thankful. They, they mourn when God says that they're going to kill them, not only because they're going to die, but um, you see this idea that, um, that Israel not only is afraid of death, but I think at this point they have experienced the presence of God. I mean, look, the Red Sea, the plagues, all these things. They're provisioned during the wilderness, I think they've experienced the presence of God, and they don't want him to leave. 
at this point. I think it's about more than just, oh, we don't want to die. I think it's, man, we've experienced your presence, God. Don't leave us, please. Where you go, we want to go. And we want you to go with us where we go. This covenant is established, and God says, I'll do it. I'll do it, but you've got to do your part. You have to obey me. You have to follow me. That third theme of covenant is really thick in Exodus. But here you see another third theme, and that is the presence of God. After this, God continues to give law to the Israelites, and he, he mentions the tabernacle, all right? Israelites, they're afraid to go to Mount Sinai and, and, and commune with God. So God says, all right, I'll come down to you. That's okay. So he, he gives a prescription to Moses on how to build this thing called the tabernacle, okay? Um, funny word, it just means dwelling, kind of like a tent, a dwelling place. Um, so um, God says, you build this exactly how I say, and my presence will come and it will meet with you there. Rather than being up on the mountain, it will meet with you in the tabernacle. So they do it. They build it exactly to the specific standards that God says, and it works. Surprisingly, it works. <laughs> um, part of these plans, again, include this place where the presence of God, and I've seen this depicted in, in images, but if you hear the words of Exodus about the smoke and the lightning and the thunder, it had been, been kind of a scary thing. God's presence is just unmistakable. But God says, in this one place, in this tabernacle, I will come and I will meet with you. And my presence will be with you. And it works. It works. He lays out very detailed instructions on this tabernacle. In chapters 35 through 40. And they get it finished. It's starting in verse 34 in chapter 40. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 35, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 36, in all of their travels, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all Israelites, uh, all the Israelites during all the travels. So again, you see this idea of Israel wanting to be in the presence of God. When the cloud lifted, they packed up. Well, the presence of God's moving. Let's go, right? If it stayed, they stayed. But what's, what's the deal with Moses, right? That's my question. We get all the way to the end of this, and Moses cannot go in? Like, that's like one of those movies where you watch the theater, you're like, like I'm sitting in my seat going, what? You're like, I just paid 10 bucks for this movie, you know? You're going to make me pay for another one to watch the end? Moses can't go in. See, Israel's unfaithfulness had caused such a change in this covenant that other stuff had to happen. God required more. But that's how Exodus ends, right there. It's a cliffhanger, I know. It hurts my feelings. I'm sorry. Maybe it hurts your feelings too. <laughs> but come back next week because Leviticus is going to carry this story. It's going to keep going. We've got more to this story. You see, God required more. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, God required more of them. Even though he would keep this covenant, Moses couldn't go in yet. We couldn't enter the presence of God yet. I want to share with you really, really quickly, and I just want to say this too as a side note. Anytime you read Old Testament Scripture, be aware that Old Testament Scripture always points to Jesus. Always. Always, always, always. Okay? Um, right here, just let me read this. I, I want to read it because I, it's just it's breathtaking. I can't make this up. John 1. Just write it down because I'm going to read it for you. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son, from the Father full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. That's New Testament. You know what that word residence means? What it, what it connotates? The tabernacle. You know that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament? You know what that's saying? Hey, Israel, you chased my presence in Exodus, in Egypt, in the wilderness. You chased my presence. Jesus is my presence. He's here. I'm revealing myself to you through him. That's what that word means, residence, tabernacle. That's what that means. I can't make this up. I told you, this story is beautiful. I'm not that good. Okay? I don't know anybody that good. God orchestrates this marvelous story of redemption, of deliverance, of covenant, of promise, of presence. And he wraps it all up with Jesus. And again, there's more to the story. We know Revelation. We know all that. Eventually, we will be back in the presence of God. But how beautiful it is to think that for years and years and years, for centuries and generations, Israel chased this Messiah. And here in John 1, right at the beginning of John 1, the gospel, John's writing, hey, Jesus is it. Jesus is the presence. This is God revealing himself. Wake up, Israel. <laughs> this is him. This is what we've been waiting on. But they don't get it, do they? From the first word of Genesis all the way to the last word of Revelation, we need to understand that God is weaving a story and that he's weaving a story of restoration. That's another theme you see in Exodus is restoration. I'm going to wrap up quick here. I've got, I've got more to talk about, but I can't, I can't cover it. Read Exodus, please. <laughs> please read it. I want to ask you, what, what are you going to do with this story? This story is beautiful. This story is, again, how could you make this up? I don't know. How could you hear this and not be moved by it? I don't know. I believe that every one of us today is in need of deliverance. I really do. Uh, Christian or non-Christian, I believe that every one of us is in need of deliverance from something. I believe that we're in bondage. And Ryan mentioned it last week a little bit, how we walk into church with this smile. And sometimes it's fake, sometimes it's real. But you know when it's fake, and, and other people may not know when it's fake, but you know. You may be in bondage to something. Just like Israel was in bondage in Egypt. You may be in bondage to something. Maybe it's a, uh, we mentioned depression. Maybe it's uh, sin, whatever it may be. I want to share, you with, share with you that God delivers you from that. That's the story of Exodus, is that God delivers us. He delivered Israel. That's what he's about, his deliverance. Israel couldn't do it. So it took the ten plagues, and it took that last plague that people look at and say, man, that's so cruel, but God had to do it. He delivered Israel. He set them aside for a purpose. And you'd see that just like John 1, and when John recognizes it, that purpose is to deliver mankind. <laughs> Not just to deliver Israel, but the purpose arcs all the way over to us now with Jesus. He delivers us even now. So that's my question for you. As we move into a time of invitation, it's going to be a little bit different, but maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, but some of you carried something in today. Some of you carried something in. And let's be honest with ourselves, okay? We like to use this moment as kind of like a planning time of where we're going to go eat lunch. But let's be honest with ourselves. If you carried something in, if you're bonded to something, if you're enslaved to something, whether it be sin, whether it be uh, sadness, whatever it may be in your life, God wants to deliver you from that. That's what he's about. I want you to reconcile that today. I want you to reconcile that. You, you know the, the way that you do that? Is you confess it. If it's sin, confess it. Not to me. I'm not your priest, okay? I'm nobody. I don't make a hill of beans. Confess it to God. 
Confess it to the person that you've wronged. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a brother or sister just sitting here today. Confess that. Pull them aside. During this time, I'm going to challenge you to that. Again, I know we like to think of this time as just a time where we just sit. But listen, if God's called you to move, move. God told Israel, hey, tie your robes tight. Get your sandals on. Hold your staff in your hand. When God calls you to move, he wants you to move. And I believe God's calling for some of you to be delivered today. I do. I believe that. Move. And for some of you, you've never experienced deliverance. You may not know what it means to be a Christian. For some of you, you're bonded to this idea that you're a Christian just because you do the right things. And I'm telling you that that's bondage. Just like sin, that's bondage. Jesus' presence, God's presence, does not rely on how good or bad you are. All right? That covenant's kind of gone. Jesus said, hey, I'm doing away with that law. All right? Now it's grace. Now it's faith that saves you, not the law. Maybe you're bonded to that. Maybe you would say, yeah, I've been living this life, and I'm, I think I'm a Christian. I don't know, but I'm doing the right things. Maybe deep down inside you know I've never really been delivered. Move today. Move. Tie your sandals. Get up. God's calling you to deliverance. Israel didn't know what they were getting into. You may not know what you're getting into. You may be a little scared. It's a little scary. But they got up and they went. So move today. Wherever you are, just reach out to God. Um, again, that theme of presence there. This idea that God's presence can be so near to us. I pray that you would, you would long for that. I pray that we as a church would long for that. So if you don't fall into any of those categories, maybe you say, I'm doing good. Well, I'm not bonded to anything. Just reach out to God. Israel chased after him. For generations, Israel chased God. And we have him. Here. We have his spirit. What a blessing to live in an age where we can say that. Where we can proclaim the name Yahweh and not be afraid. Where we can approach his presence boldly. I'm going to pray, and I'll be down here. This is going to be different. We're not going to stand and sing. I just want you to just soak right now. I, just, just be in the presence, okay? If there's something you need to be delivered from, now, all right? Do it now. If you need to confess, this altar's open. You don't have to come up here, but confess it to God now. If you need to confess something to another, if you've wronged somebody and that's on you and you're bonded to that, do it. Do it now. I believe God's calling you to deliverance today. He's, he's, he's beckoning you to that. So don't leave without being delivered. Let me pray.